Welcome to Tardi Mecha Nachiomi with the OU Women's Initiative. My name is Adina Schmidman, and today we will be learning Sefer Yehoshua Perak Ches. How would you move forward after a disaster, especially knowing that the entire nation is watching you? We saw yesterday in Perak Zion how Yehoshua reacted decisively and quickly to discover evil in the camp to address Hashem and the people and regain his leadership stance. Let's title Perak Ches, The Correction to Calamity. Pasuk Aleph, Vayomer Hashem El Yehoshua, Al Tira Va'al Techas. Perak opens with a reassurance from Hashem, Al Tira Va'al Techas, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Let's listen carefully. Hashem's directive to Yehoshua is a very different message than we heard in Parak Aleph, Chazak ve'ematz. It's a message that recognizes traumatic loss and pervasive fear across the camp and certainly with leadership. There is a need for comforting, a supportive voice, and Hashem says, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. Because after all, the people were afraid. They asked, how can we move forward? What if this happens again? How can we continue fighting to conquer the land? The Pasuk continues, Kum alei ha'ai, get up and invade ai. Re'enasati biyadcha es melech ha'ai ve'es amo ve'es iro ve'es artso. And look, I have given into your hand the king of ai, his people, the city, and the country. Come, get up, move forward. What faith it must have taken for Yehoshua to move forward after failure. Because once someone has failed, there is often a lingering fear of future failure. Doubt is introduced and momentum is lost. How does Yehoshua move forward and confront the same city of Ai again? Hashem immediately addresses these fears and sends the people forward using the words, Come, get up. And Alei, rise up, meeting the fears of the people head on. There is no time to waste. Hashem will be there and the king of Ai, his people, the city and the land, note each piece delineated, will be delivered into the hands of Yehoshua and the Bnei Yisrael with a clear victory like the conquest of Yericho. Yehoshua was told to bring a mass of people to the battlefield. And as such, according to the Mitzudos David, create an illusion that the Jewish people were fighting without Hashem's intervention. That's why they needed a large army. Additionally, by bringing a large number of people to fight, the nations would also gather in large numbers. Victory would save the Jewish people from fighting future battles as the reach and scope of the win would be far-reaching. The Raubag, Rabbi Levi ben Gershom, a 14th century French commentator, explains that Hashem wanted Yehoshua to use military tactics as miracles are not the first go-to in a world run according to the principles of nature. Open miracles are a last resort. However, Hashem did not leave the people to fend for themselves. He provided the military strategy and as such bolstered the people's confidence in their military ability. With Hashem on their side, they would be undefeatable. Again, we see the transition of the people from the miraculous to the mundane as they move from the desert into the land. This time, Hashem told Yehoshua that the people could take the booty. While Yericho was a divine battle, 
This war was being fought by the people, albeit with Hashem's lead, and thus they could partake in the spoils. Let's lay out the battle plan. First move. Yoshua sends out 30,000 men stealthily two days before the conquest in the dark of the night. These troops would ambush the city from behind. Second move. Yoshua and the people who were with him would approach the city from the front. Third, the people of Ai would come out and pursue Yoshua and his men, thus being drawn out and away from the city. The Malbim observes that the people of Ai would be so confident, as the first battle was so lopsided in their favor, that they would leave the women and children unprotected with the city gates open. Next, when the city was left vulnerable, the 30,000 warriors would attack the city from the rear and Hashem would deliver the city into their hands. The directive was then to burn the city just as they had done to Yericho. Once Yoshua would see Ai burning, he would turn back around to attack from the front of the city. All of this reads Pasuk Ches 8, Kidvar Hashem, according to Hashem's word. Kidvar Hashem ta'asu, ru'u tzivisi eschem. And what happens that night, two days before the battle? Vayelen Yehoshua balayla hahu besoch ha'am. Yoshua goes to sleep, Pasuk Tes 9, among the nation. According to the Radak, he wanted to give them confidence, seeing their leader among the people confident to sleep, and yet waking up energized in the morning would build momentum and morale. Pasuk Yud Aleph 11. Vayashkem Yoshua Baboker, Vayivkod Es Ha'am. Yoshua rose up early in the morning and counted out the people. And he went out with the elders of Israel before the people toward Ai. We've seen this expression before. Yoshua wakes up early in the morning. He inspects the people, according to the Mayam Loes, to identify those who had deferments, exemptions mentioned in Devarim, Parakhaf 20. Someone who built a new house and didn't live in it. Someone who just got married. Someone who planted a vineyard and had not eaten from it. And someone who was fearful. Logic suggests that having just arrived in the country, it was likely the people who were fearful who ended up staying back. And then off to battle with Yoshua in the lead. Having your commander with you changes the tempo and energy of the people. And he went. And if the plan wasn't intricate enough, Yoshua takes a smaller flank to create another ambush, to create a visible diversion so that the people of Ai wouldn't suspect the large ambush coming from behind. And the night before the battle, Pasuk Yugimel 13, Yoshua went that night in the midst of the valley. According to the Gemara Megillah, Daf Gimel Amud Aleph, 3a, Yoshua spent the entire night immersed in the study of Torah. Into the valley is to be understood as the depths of Torah. Jewish leaders and Jewish soldiers carry their Torah into battle. We've seen this. In Operation Iron Sword, the Mesechtos being learned in the Daf Yomi cycle were rolling off the presses in Israel, printed especially for the soldiers in Sahal. Soldiers who learn on their break, Davening Mincha next to their tank. We go to battle with both the Torah and sword in our hands, 
for there is a recognition of the dual role of the soldier to both fight and learn the words of Torah. When the city of Ai saw the Jewish people coming toward the city, they ran out, never suspecting that there was an ambush from behind. Yoshua feigned defeat, escaping with the people of Ai in pursuit, all the while being drawn further and further from the city. And therefore, Pasuk Yudzayin, V'lo nishar ish ba'ai uveves el asher lo yatsu acharei Yisrael. There was not a man left in Ai or Basel that did not go out after the Jewish people. And they left the city unguarded and pursued after Bnei Yisrael. And Hashem said to Yehoshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai. Because into your hand I will give it. And so Yoshua extended the spear in his hand toward the city. Yoshua stretches out his hand and weapon to the city, reminding us of Moshe stretching out his staff at the Yamsuf, with the same language used in this Pasuk, Nitei. And also Moshe in the battle with Amalek in the desert, when he raised his arms to the sky to direct the people's eyes and thoughts heavenward. Once the people were drawn out from the city, the ambush attacked from behind, quickly overtaking the city and setting it on fire. It's at this point that the people of Ai turned around and saw smoke rising from their city. They froze, not knowing which direction to run. And the Jewish people with Yehoshua turned back around to attack the people of Ai who had initially pursued them. End of Pasuk Chafbeis 22, And they slew them until there was no one who remained or escaped that was left. Pasuk Chafkimel 23, They captured the king of Ai alive and they brought him to Yehoshua. Not only were they victorious, but they caught the king, a sign of great triumph. 12,000 people, men and women, fell that day, all the people of Ai. And during the entirety of the war, Yoshua held up his spear, reminiscent of Moshe extending his hand during the battle of Amalek, in which, parenthetically, Yoshua fought. The Gemara in Rosh Hashanah Chavtes Ahmed Aleph, as cited by Rashi, describing the battle with Amalek, highlights that it was, of course, not Moshe's arms that were the source of victory, but rather that he pointed upward to direct the people's attention and prayers heavenward. As did Moshe, so did Yehoshua, holding his sword up to Shamayim to orient the people. Because our battles are not fought with swords, but rather with a focus on our Father in heaven. This time, as described in Pasuk Zion 27, with Hashem's permission and direction, the people took from the spoils. The Mayam Lois beautifully comments that the people only took because of Hashem's command. Perhaps they were being cautious in the aftermath of Achan, or they didn't feel, even though it was a military battle, that the victory was theirs. They felt the presence of Hashem throughout the fight. As this battle was a combination of human strategy and divine directives, 
Yoshua issued different directions than he did in the Battle of Yericho. The people could take the spoils, and in contrast to Yericho, there was no restriction to rebuild. Pasuk Ches 28, Yoshua burnt Ai and made it a mount forever, a wasteland until this day. Pasuk Chavtes 29. Yoshua hanged the king of Ai on the gallows until evening. But despite victory and triumph, after hanging the king of Ai, Yoshua directed that his body be lowered as evening set in. The Mishnah and Sanhedrin discusses the injunction that a body may not be left hanging overnight. This is both out of respect to the human body as well as respect to the land. The Ramban derives from this incident that the prohibition of leaving a body overnight applies to bodies of both Jews and non-Jews. The Kliyakar, a 16th century commentator, draws a parallel between Yoshua and Moshe. While the people were busy with the spoils of Ai, Yoshua completed the burning of the city and hanged the king of Ai just as Moshe took care of Yosef's bones while the people were collecting the spoils of Mitzrayim. Finally, they dump the king of Ai's body near the gates of the city and create a mound to publicize the victory across the land, thus instilling fear amongst the seven nations. The first war with Ai ends with Achan buried under a heap of stone. The second war with Ai ends with the king of Ai buried under a heap of stones. Exact same words, second time around, Vayakimu alav gal avanim gadol ad hayom Vayakimu alav gal avanim gadol ad hayom This parallel draws our attention to the repair and redo of the people. Truly a correction to the calamity. But the story doesn't finish here. Az yivna Yoshua mizbeach la Hashem Yisrael bahar evel. Pasuk Lamed 30. Yoshua built an altar to Hashem, the God of Israel, on Mount Evel. Kasher Tziva Moshe. Just like Moshe commanded. Yoshua chooses to recognize Hashem by building a Mizbeach. According to Rashi, this event took place on the 10th of Nisan when they crossed the Yardin. Rashi comments that there is no clear order in the Torah and this event happened before the Battle of Ai. Expanding this idea, the Lev Aaron, Rav Aaron Ibn Chaim, a 16th century commentator from Fez, Morocco, explains that the events here are recounted following a geographic sequence rather than a time sequence. How unusual! It's really a profound message about the uniqueness of Eretz Yisrael. The idea of following the narrative through geographic touch points speaks to the primacy of the land and how it drives the progress of the people. The Malbim suggests that there were two stone memorials, one recorded when they crossed the Yardin in Perak Dalid 4, and one here on Har Evel. Why on Har Evel? This mountain was known for the curses that are described in Sefer Devarim. And it shall be when you have crossed the Yardin that you shall set up these stones on Har Evel. A mountain known for curses? Why? The message to the people was to remember the severity of sin and to never be complacent as sin lurks around the bend. 
The concept of eradicating another nation may seem unduly cruel. There may be temptation to allow seemingly innocent people to live. Hashem underscores the terrible risk of sin when exposed to the seven nations. He stresses here, upon entry to the land, that this land is ours and we must take all necessary measures to assure purity among the people and the land. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the Torah of Moshe, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. What was written on these stones? According to Rav Sajagon, there was a summary of the 613 commandments. According to the Ramban, every verse was written, perhaps using micrography. According to the Metzuz David, only Sefer Tvarim was written on these stones. Pasuk Lamidalid 34. And afterwards, he read all the words of the Torah, the brachos, the blessings, and the klalos, the curses, according to all that was written in the book of the Torah. Pasuk Lamid Hey 35. Lo haya davar mikol asher tziva Moshe asher lo kara Yehoshua neged kol kahal Yisrael v'hanashim v'hataf v'hager haholech bekirbam. There was not one word of all that Moshe commanded that Yehoshua did not read to the entire community of Israel, the women, the children, and the converts that traveled among them. Note who was included. It is critical that when there is transmission of the Torah, that families be there, men, women, children, to assure that the chain of continuity continues. With the victory in eye, Yoshua and the people learn from their mistakes and recognize the primacy of Hashem's commandments. Following every detail of the commandments is critical to assure success in this new land. Their journey is framed with the blessings and curses told to Moshe. The people are now holding both history and future in their hands. Thank you for studying Le'ili Nishmot, Imotenu Hayikarot, Esther Oppenheimer, Allah Shalom, and Sarah Schenker, Allah Shalom, each deeply devoted and proud to transmit their family's Torah legacy to the next generations.